This is the Ingalls Information Aisle with Leah McGrath, helping you eat healthy, feel great, and understand your nutrition. Now, here's your host, Ingalls Dietitian, Leah McGrath. Good Saturday morning and welcome to the Ingalls Information Aisle. This is Leah McGrath, your Ingalls Dietitian. And on today's Ingalls Information Aisle, we're going to be talking to a department head of food, nutrition, and diet, dietetics and health for Kansas State University, Dr. Mark Hobb. And he's joining us by phone from Kansas. Hi, Mark. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you. Good afternoon. I'm happy to be a part of your show. Thanks. Should I call you Dr. Hobb, Mark, Dr. Mark? Mark is perfectly okay. <laughs> okay. So I'm looking at your, um, your CV. So you're in the, you're the department head for the Department of Food, Nutrition, Dietetics, and Health. There's a lot going on there, Mark. That's correct. Yeah, we're pretty large. We're a pretty large department here at Kansas State. So, how many students are in your department? So we have six hundred students, and about five hundred are undergraduates, and we have about a hundred graduate students. So, how does it? Well, if if you go um, into food, nutrition, dietetics, and health, is that an automatic track into becoming a dietitian, or what are some of the other career paths people? people do when they go when they are in your department sure for the undergraduate level we have two well technically three uh, accredited programs two in dietetics and one in athletic training and then we also have a nutrition track which is also a pre-health track for those that want to go on to medicine dentistry optometry and so we do have two accredited tracks one specifically for dietetics in which there's two ways they can go in dietetics. One is didactic, one is coordinated. Those that are aware of the, the dietetics curricula, they would kind of understand that. But one has an internship built in, and the other one, you finish your coursework, then you do your internship at another location after graduation. Got it. Yep. Mine, I went to University of Maryland for my nutrition degree, and then I did my internship with the U.S. Army. So, oh, um, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. So I did not, so you're, you said that your program there does see, um, individuals who are in, going a health track like physicians, um, who are taking Correct. nutrition classes too. That's exciting, right? Yeah. So that's one of our, our, our big pushes. And I know it's on the, the med school side, they're trying to do more with cooking and food. And so we're trying to get at least the students that go through our program prepared for that aspect of the profession, especially from the general practice, family physician right. perspective in which the, the clients, much like you would see, um, are going to be interested on, in how do I eat better, eat healthier. Um, you know, a surgeon, I'm not sure what a benefit right. of having nutrition would be for a surgeon, but uh, for those that are, have direct con- contact with patients on the front line as, as far as the family physician or GP, you know, we're and PA nursing as well. We're, our goal is to try to get them as proficient in nutrition as we can. Yeah, I think that's a great goal. I mean, I have um, I have a brother and a sister-in-law who are both physicians, and um, they don't know a lot about nutrition. I mean, they're smart people, they but they don't know a lot about nutrition. And um, I, I as a dietitian, I have. 
I have some different feelings about that. I mean, I think it's really important that they understand some baseline information. I also think it's really important that they know when to refer to someone who has yep. more expertise in that area. Do would you agree? Yeah, I think you know, and I think you as I think dietitians know this well. Um, it, nutrition is really strange from the standpoint of since everybody eats, right? They people think that they they fully understand nutrition, and you know there are some basic fundamentals that that I think we all learn from nutrition and our own experiences. But when it gets down to specifics, down to biochemistry, to metabolism, to agriculture, to various aspects, that's when things go from a lay lay information to, to more advanced information. And that, you know, it, some education definitely helps better understand the com- complexities. Nutrition is very complex. And it tends to be much more complex than eat this, not that. Exactly. You know how I did a, I wrote a medium post um, about this and my husband actually came up with his analogy um, because I was trying to sort of figure out how I can make an analogy of, you know, why doctors should know something about nutrition, but also be able to refer. And he said, you know, it's a lot like, um, a contractor, when you hire a contractor to do some sort of, you know, addition or construction on your house, typically they're, you know, if, if it's a fairly big project, they subcontract out to people who specialize in something like whether it's, you Absolutely. know, right, electrical, wiring, plumbing, um, fo- floor tiles, because, you know, they know maybe the big picture, but they either but those they don't have that set of skills or that level of skill to do the plumbing the the electrical wiring things like that and i thought that is just a great analogy to explain that yeah and that and that, and that covers pt speech ot all the 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 of the exactly. specialty areas within healthcare. Exactly. Because, you know, it's so funny because when you hear people talk about, oh, doctors should know more about nutrition, and I agree with that, but you never hear people saying, well, doctors should know <laughs> more about, um, you know, uh, physical therapy or yep. occupational yep. therapy. So, um, yeah, so I think it's a, it's, it's a complex discussion that is, as are many things about nutrition. Um, so, t- and, it, and it may come, and it may come down to the, the basic issue of people just thinking eating is easy. Right. And so versus, you know, therapy for knee replacement. Right. Potentially could, could seem more complex, but in, in essence, they're the disciplines that are equally complex. Well, wasn't there a famous fear monger who once said that nutrition isn't rocket science, Mark? <laughs> uh, I'm sure there's probably several of those. There's probably more than just one. Uh, uh, yeah, exactly. Well, and you know that how much goes into um, into learning about nutrition. I mean, I remember organic chemistry, biochemistry, anatomy and physiology, not to mention all of our food science classes and labs and lectures. Um, I don't think many people are aware of how much it takes to get so you know uh, you know something about nutrition. So it isn't just rocket science. No, yeah. yeah. So no, could, well, I mean, on one hand, it is kind of rocket science. It's a, it's applied biochemistry plus counseling and education and understanding the healthcare system. And so, you know, on one level, it's it's 
it's like rocket science, but then it's it's applying that in a healthcare environment, which you have to understand billing, you have to understand uh, you know healthcare teams and other aspects of it, much like the physician of when to refer. Stay, and stay tuned. It's a psych console. Stay, stay tuned to the Ingalls Information Hour. We're talking with Dr. Mark Hobb about the world of nutrition and dietetics. Welcome back to the Ingalls Information Now. This is Leah McGrath here, Ingalls Dietitian, and I'm on the phone today with Dr. Mark Hobb. And Mark is the department head for the Department of Food, Nutrition, Dietetics, and Health at Kansas State University. And we just dis- discovered something fun. We we both started, um, I started with Ingalls in 2000, and Mark started uh, as an academic um, with uh, K-State, Kansas State University in 2000. So we both... Um, we're, it's been seven, almost 18 years for me. Uh, so about that long for you now, right? Correct. So let's talk about how things have changed. So Mark, I, you know, I have, I'm working on this whole presentation right now and I've been reflecting a lot about as a dietitian in the retail space, how things have changed uh, in terms of how consumers access information, where they're getting their information about food and nutrition, which is now very much through social media, I feel like just, you know, picking up their smartphone. Correct. Yeah. And on the internet. Um, I also feel like the questions I get as a dietitian have really changed from being very proactive, like that I could be very proactive, like somebody, wants information because they're newly diagnosed with diabetes and don't understand label reading or their child is a picky eater and they want tips. And now I feel like I spend a lot more time sort of talking people off this ledge of fears about food safety. Um, have you seen things like that as well? Yeah. So on the, yeah, on the academic side, if for those that, <laughs> that were cognizant of nutrition and food things uh, 15 to 20 years ago. You know, the Atkins diet was just starting. Right. And, I mean, we even had, so I taught, uh, an, I taught a, basically a sport nutrition class and then obesity metabolism class at that time. And um, it was one of those things where Atkins was, so it was around, um, kind of, you know, 5%, I would say the population was kind of aware of it, uh, maybe less. Right. And so in one of my lectures, I was wanting to teach about, about quote unquote fad diets. Um, and so I thought, well, you know what, if I'm going to do this, I, I need to get the book. And so I even went around to our department. So at that time, and just asked faculty if they had an Atkins book and none of them did. Oh. And so I, I found that interesting just from the standpoint of there were several faculty who would denounce a low-carb diet, specifically the Atkins diet, without having read the book. Uh. And so that kind of leads into your, your questions about you know, fear-mongering, because I think that practice is still going on in which we, we say don't do this or do this without really understanding some of the, the underpinnings and details of what that might be. Yeah. But nonetheless... The, uh, the issues at the time were, were pretty, were much more kind of factual and biochemistry, more, I would say, traditional.
nutritional, nutrition science, and now we're getting more into stronger aspects of application and soft skills. How do you relate with people? Uh, how do you apply this concept to cancer, to diabetes, to different health states versus being more kind of black and white, if you will. So how do you feel? I mean, for me, what I see is that um, with all with the fad diets, I mean, they seem to have a revolving door that there's a, a new one every year that sort of gets the most headlines. But many of them, you know, and I guess I have the benefit of having been a dietitian for over 20 years now, and you as um, being in the academic world and, and studying nutrition f- for actually, we're very, about the same amount of time. Um, right. Um, you know, I, I feel like a lot of these fad diets are basically versions of each other. So they just sort of take some of these elements and they rename it, you know, it's like, it's, you know, you talked about, you mentioned the Atkins diet. So, you know, um, then you have things like, um, you know, the Whole30 or the Paleo, and they all have, they're all really versions of very similar things. Have you seen yep. that as well? Yeah. Well, yeah. So when I was putting that lecture together, so at that time, that's also when South Beach right. uh, was, making a, a presence, on, at least on supermarket shelves. And so that's when I first realized that they're basically the same thing. Right. Legally, they can't. Legally, they had some differences, so they, you, they there couldn't be a claim as far as copycatting or whatever, the copyright infringement, those kind of things. But in essence, it's the same thing. Paleo being a twist, uh, and now ketogenic being right. a twist of that. And... Um, so yeah, so it's, it's kind of the, basically the same thing. And I, I see them, the fad part is, I think those of us that are in the industry and see it, it's usually what's presented as one side. And so it shows all the positives of one approach and denounces whatever aspects that, that may be contrary to it, uh, without much evidence. In the other aspect, from a science perspective, we have so many more studies that you could pretty much have a reference list of 50 and omit all the studies that are contrary to what you want to your perspective. And so it looks like, wow, look at all this evidence that shows this approach is the best approach. Mm-hmm. And it's omitting, omitting studies that, that are contrary or don't show a difference between traditional, a, you know, a uh, USDA my plate type of an approach or uh, whatever approach they're they're wanting to sell the, the consumer. You know what I think is really interesting to me is I tend not to really come out really strong against any of these fad diets. And one of the reasons why is because I find that very few people are actually following them as religiously as they, they claim to be. So I, right. I, I don't, and you know, sometimes what I actually saw, and you mentioned, so we mentioned Atkins diet. We only have about 30 seconds left, so I'll finish my thought here and we'll move on. But when people got a little bit more conscious of eating so many, like what I would call more empty carbohydrates, you know, pretzels and, you know, chips and things like that, I, I saw the benefit in that. I thought, well, you know, that's maybe not a bad outcome of that Atkins right. diet. So, Absolutely. Yeah, so... I don't I don't know that 
Um, well, I'll come back. We'll finish that thought in the next segment. Stay tuned to the English Information Hour. I'm talking with Dr. Mark Hobb of Kansas State University's Department of Food, Nutrition, Dietetics, and Health. Stay tuned. Welcome back to the Ingalls Information Aisle. This is Leah, the dietitian for Ingalls. I'm speaking to the department head for food, nutrition, dietetics, and health from Kansas State University. It's Dr. Mark Hobb. And um, Mark, I, I, I will totally confess, I think I've been stalking you for a long time on social media. So it's sort of fun to to talk to you. And even though we haven't met face-to-face yet, um, we've been aware of each other for a long time. I would say several years, right? Yeah, Yeah, I would say so, too. It's been fun. And tell everybody what your Twitter handle is so they can find you on um, social media. Yeah, so it's HobbKSU with an underscore in between my last name and KSU. So it's H-A-U-B. Yeah, sorry, H-A-U-B. Yeah, I I know how to spell it. (laughs) So we were were talking about fad diets. and, And I think it's only fair that we mention your big claim to fame, which has been a few years ago now, but... Um, you're known as the Twinkie Diet Man, right? Correct. <laughs> so, tell everybody what what what's what's that all about? Yeah, so it, I teach teach an obesity metabolism class, and I wanted to get a concept. That, well, when it started was 2010, and for those that follow USDA guidelines, they come out every five years, and so they were getting ready to come out with the 2010 guidelines, and in their I was able to see a draft, and so in that draft, it said that refined starches and solid fats um, are obesogenic, and so I wanted to test that concept that if I eat mostly those foods, can I still lose weight? So are calories more important than the type of food when it comes to weight loss? Right. Um, And so that's that's how it started, and so I I used, it was basically the convenience store diet, Good Morning America made it. The Twinkie diet, they're the ones that kind of start pushed that that concept or that name for the, the diet. But it was basically it was anything that, that people thought I shouldn't eat. Things that were deemed unhealthy were on my menu. Um, so I had so I did have whole milk because some people say, you know, the dairy fat is not good, saturated fat, so I, I that's the type of milk I drink if I drink if and when I drink milk. Uh, but sugar sweetened cereal, cakes, cookies, um, those types of things were on the menu. Um, and so that was the, the point. And I, I did lose weight over that 10 weeks. Um, so, but so just to get at that point. So did your, so did your exercise or, you know, your exercise or activity change, change at all? Or did you try and maintain a consistent level? Yeah, from- I, I tried to keep it low. So I, my goal was not to meet exercise guidelines. Um, so I, I exercise two to three days a week for maybe an hour total per week. Okay. Um, and the, and the exercise guidelines are an hour and 50 minutes. Okay. So I, I want to make sure that people wouldn't come back and say, well, he just exercised his way right. through the, the thing. And so I didn't want that to be, um, something. So really, even if I did, it's, it still wouldn't get to the point because now it's amazing that this issue comes up every year. Because um, somebody will say, "Don't eat donuts because they cause obesity," then somebody on social media will say, "Well, yeah, but did you hear about the professor who ate Twinkies and lost weight?" <laughs> and still- so it, it's amazing that it's still relevant to this. Oh day. yeah, well yeah, and it probably always will be. So, how many calories did you? Uh, what, what was your target calorie amount for those ten weeks per day? 
so I I said I wouldn't eat more than eighteen hundred. So this is where oh. some of the problems have have come up in people's interpretation of what I did and saying, well, he lied. He didn't say what he actually did. But my goal was to get to eighteen hundred, uh, not to get to, but not not to go more than eighteen hundred. I think my average intake was about seventeen hundred. Okay. To seventeen twenty. Um, so there were some days I ate 1,500 or 1,600 calories. Uh, but the thing, you know, one of the learn real, I talk about this in class all the time, one of the things I learned was there were days I would get, it'd be 8 o'clock, and I'd had fifteen or 1,600 calories. And a little voice in my head would say, you know what, if you don't have a snack right now, you'll lose weight faster. Ah. And so to me it was a really an introduction to potentially what, those with eating disorders may suffer when they look at food and they they, they put weights and calories. They the relationship and they how they value food is different. Yeah. Um, and so it was that was something that I had not even considered would happen. But professionally, I'm glad it did happen, so I can at least have somewhat of an appreciation for the thoughts that go through people's head when they look at a cookie, when they look at meat when they look at whatever food that they that they may see as being harmful right as to the how they rationalize themselves through that process so how much weight did you lose during that 10 weeks yeah i lost 27 pounds wow um, huh. and most of it was body fat so it was about 20 pounds of, of fat wow so i think one of the things that you're really um talking about here is this concept that a lot of us like to reduce food to categories, you know, that eat this, not that good food versus bad food and, you know, kind of put certain foods in one bucket and make them the no foods or the, you know, how people say the cheat foods or the bad for you foods um, versus foods that have maybe a health halo or good for you status and how that may not always work. Right. Correct. Yeah, it depends on what the goal is. That's absolutely correct. Right, exactly. Um, so we have about a minute and a half left. So we, we've been talking about a lot about fad diets. With your students, what are do, what are some things in the past 17 years, do, do you see some things now in the past couple of years that have really changed in terms of their questions about foods or and nutrition? Yeah, I think they, they're getting beyond just, macronutrients and micronutrients to better understand you know i think one of the one of the benefits are gardens and schools Mm -hmm. and so they're coming to college now with a different understanding of where food comes from and so we're getting a more complex broad aspect of nutrition um getting more into sustainability and environmental issues hunger issues so it's it's expanding beyond kind of the acute clinical situation more towards uh, environmental community aspects, not getting rid of the clinical aspect. That, that's still going to be a base of nutrition dietetics, but getting outside of the hospital into communities, working more with agriculture to kind of better understand how do we not only make ourselves individually better, but how do we improve the health of our community through food. That's, yeah, I say, here's my, here's my tagline that I made up, Mark. Between the farm and the plate, dietitians have an opportunity to educate. How do you like that? Yep. Yeah, it's perfect. 
Well, thank you so much, Dr. Mark Hobb, for joining us on the Ingalls Information Aisle. Remember, folks, follow um, Dr. Hobb on Twitter, H-A-U-B underscore K-S-U. You can find him on Twitter. He's got some great information there. Mark, thanks so much for joining us on the Ingalls Information Aisle. My pleasure. Keep up the good work. You do a great job. Ingalls is lucky to have you as part of their team. 